Good morning. Good to see you guys. I know I saw I saw a out of towner. I saw Kelly sitting back there earlier. Kelly Varnado. If you guys want to get a chance to visit with her, she's in for out of town. Everybody else, I think, is just our regular guys. Hey, all right. We'll turn to First Peter chapter five with me. Your Bible should flop open to that page by now. We've been hanging around this passage. It has been just a rich exploration. God uses words that just have deep and powerful impacts if we'll meditate on them and ponder them. So I, I called this verse last week the, uh, the Swiss army knife in the Bible. Uh, I think I start every year under the umbrella of, okay, so another year is in front of us. Right? We have this adventure before us. We're going we're to cross this terrain. And part of my feeling of responsibility for us as a, as a flock together is, is we're going to face some things when we go to do life this year. And that's true all the time, right? Every month we're facing stuff every week, but we, we're going to venture into this year and face some things. And this verse is so rich with things that we want to keep in our pocket. We're going to, we're going to need to take some of these things out and pull them out of our Swiss army knife and make use of them as we do this year. And so we've put this under the umbrella of discipleship reboot, as Evan said, probably going to pick that title up throughout the year. Cause I think there's a number of things that we're in a good place to reboot some things. I don't know if you're feeling that way personally, you know, the pandemic, the pause, the change of pace, the different way of life. And then at some point we all kind of are anticipating life's going to return to some kind of normalcy. And before that happens, is, is there anything in your life that might need a good reboot, right? Something that just needs to press the reset button on that thing and, and get it on the same page with God, right? Well, well, I think discipleship in general, we live in an age in which the, the things of discipleship, following Christ, they're just under fire. They're being neglected. They're being overlooked. They're being redefined. What does it mean to be a disciple needs a fresh reboot? So that's kind of where we're at in this series here. And today we're going to reboot spiritual warfare because that's what the apostle Peter was inspired to write about. So let's pick this up. First Peter chapter five, verse six, humble yourselves, therefore under the mighty hand of God. So that at the proper time, he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith. Well, Father, we approach your word in need of your insight, your revelation. Lord, we, we don't bring the skills to see truth. Lord, you have to help us with that. So, Lord, would you do that? Holy Spirit, lead us into these words. Lord, you chose these words to be preserved through the ages, all the way to the end. Lord, there's a lot of things you could have said, but these were the things that you did say. So God, give us ears to hear what these words mean for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. A couple of things here that I don't want us to walk past too quickly. Um, at some point, you come to a place, I came to a place where I recognized my need for God, right? And I, I came to him in faith, and I surrendered my life to him. And I began this new journey 
right? I, everything was different. The way I saw life was different. The way I saw people was different. Uh, but I don't know if you noticed this, that somewhere along the way, I began to notice that I still had problems. Life was still hard. There were still disappointments. There were things like suffering and pain, right? As a matter of fact, the, you know, the ladies are studying through First Peter. We get this entire letter written out of a framework where the apostle Peter in the first century is trying to help people address the issue of suffering in their lives. Life wasn't going well for them in a lot of categories. And they weren't Americans, right? I mean, they were third worldish people who were used to life being hard. We're used to life being convenient and easy and everything's quick and it's close by. You don't have to wait too long for stuff. So when we do suffering, it's, it's an additional confusing moment, right? But there's some stuff in this verse. There's two things in particular I just want to highlight. I'm just going to pass them by real quickly today. We're being told to expect to have to manage anxieties in life. Things that we're afraid of. Hard things. Things that we might feel vulnerable to. The Bible's not acting like, hey, in the rare event that that might happen... No, it's actually talking to us like, hey, be aware this is going to happen. Oh, and and you're going to need to respond to that a certain way. So I don't know what you do when anxieties come to you, but I I know I sometimes I just I can get lost in them. I can get freaked out by them. I can stare at them a whole lot. And none of those is what God wants me to do with them. He wants me to recognize them for what they are and to and to present them to him, to cast my cares on him. So I've got some responsibility when I encounter these anxieties. But there's another encounter in this passage. Not just the normal wear and tear of life is in this passage, but there's a spiritual being that we're going to meet as we travel through life in this passage. He is called the devil. He's a real personality. He functions with power and influence, but he's not like COVID, right? You know, if you bump into COVID, COVID doesn't feel personal, does it? I mean, it's just happening in the world around us. You know, like the flu or, or cancer or anything. You don't get this sense that it's a personality coming for you. Like it knows where you live. That's, this is more like a movie, right? And you're free. This, this killer knows you by name. You know, eerie music. Well, that's what the devil is. He's a real personality and he does know you. And he knows things about you. And unlike when COVID comes to you, it, COVID comes and does one thing, right? It attacks your physical body in one particular way. And, and maybe you'll get around it, maybe you won't. The devil comes and attacks and he knows individually things about us. And not only that, there's only been a gazillion people that have my kind of makeup that he's bumped into, right? I'm kind of new to me, but he's met plenty of people just like me. My kind of personality, my kind of priorities, my vulnerabilities, my weaknesses, so when he comes to me seeking to devour, he, he's got some information on me to work with. And what's interesting in this passage, Peter's not writing to some spiritual elite class of Christians. This is not like, hey, the devil only shows up for those of you who are just about to walk on water in your lives. No, this is for garden variety Christians, just like you and me. We're being told the devil is going to show up at the doorsteps of your life. And we need to be responding to that. Let me say a couple of things. I'm going to give us a little bit of insight on the uh, the beginning here. This is not everything the Bible has to say about the devil. 
right? So sometimes we stare at one passage. We should pull out of that passage what this passage is saying and not what every Bible passage is saying, but I'm going to bring a little bit more information to that category. But there's something else in this passage I want us to to see. There's more than one, I'm going to call it posture in this passage for the Christian. You are called to be postured in two different ways in this passage. This passage starts off with one posture that says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. All right, that's a posture, isn't it? I have a certain attitude when I'm humbling myself. If I, if I could choose a posture this is describing, right? This is the Lord of the universe, God upon his throne, and we are humbling ourselves. So I think the posture for this passage is kneeling, right? It is, it is getting low. It is putting myself in a position where my hands are open, my head is bowed, and I am acknowledging who God is, and I'm entrusting myself to him, right? So that's a posture we started this passage with. But then this posture is different. This posture in the end of the passage is to identify that there's an enemy and to resist him firm in your faith, right? This, this is more like a boxing match or you're about to take on a tackler and you're a blocker. I mean, you're resisting. You are postured with a target in mind. You are seeking from where he's coming from and you are bracing yourself because I don't want you moving me. I'm resisting you. All right. Now don't get confused, right? And I'm of us humble enough to recognize sometimes we confuse the characters in our story and we end up doing this to God. Right? We are poised to resist him. We don't know if we want his will. We don't know if we want to obey him in this because it might put us in a vulnerable place or call us to do something we're not comfortable with. So we're actually postured against our Lord this way rather than kneeling in humility. And unfortunately, too often, this enemy comes to us and he's selling us something that has got our attention and we're more than willing to kneel and receive it and be open to it rather than resisting him. Listen, the devil is a real player and our posture is to resist him always, always. You don't ever want to be entering a deal with him that he's brokering, right? But let me back up a little bit and give us a little bit of surrounding information. What else does the Bible say about this devil? Right? If we're coming to the Bible here, we, we don't want to bring some you know red pointed guy wearing pajamas, kind of looking images. We don't, we don't need our best information from the exorcist movie or poltergeist to come to this passage. We need the Bible to help us say, who is this character who's being displayed here as roaming about seeking to devour? Well, we get introduced to him in Genesis chapter three. He makes his debut on the human scene. Verse one, he says, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, right? Don't read that too fast. Take a lesson from this creature. He shows up. It's his first day on the job, if you will. And the word crafty is the biggest descriptive that he gets. When you meet this creature, he is crafty shifty, deceitful. That's his nature, right? But take some shelter here because he is also a creature that the Lord had made. 
Where does he come from? Is he self-generated? Is, does he come from the alternative God universe? Is God running this universe and, and the devil was running this other universe and decided to jump over into God's universe? And now the two of them are going at it. And at the end, we're going to figure out who wins. No, that's not who the devil is. The devil is a created being. The God of the universe created this being. But notice what he does. He said to the woman, this creature likes to talk to human beings. This creature approaches human beings, right? Eve doesn't seek out the devil. The devil seeks out Eve. So just take some notes here because this devil roaming about today, you don't have to seek the devil. He'll seek you. And unfortunately, you'd make a big mistake, right? If you added to his seeking you, you seeking him. (laughs) Wouldn't that make things more complicated? But he's going to seek you out. He is roaming about seeking to lay his teeth into somebody. So we start in Genesis 3. We go all the way to the end of the book in Revelation. He is described in Revelation. His destiny is described in Revelation. Revelation 12 verse 7 gives us a little bit more background on him. That this is the role he's been playing from the beginning. Now, verse 7... War arose in heaven. Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who's called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. So we get introduced to the scene in the heavens, whether you and I have ever been aware of this scene or not, this is the scene in the heavens. A war is happening between this dragon who's known as the serpent, who's Satan himself and his angels are at war with Michael and another set of angels. This is happening In the world today. And it's having an impact on the world that you and I live in. This is where you and I need the Bible to introduce us to more than what the evening news is going to introduce us to. Or what somebody's posting on a a blog. This this isn't being described, right? Nobody's giving you a blow-by-blow of what's happening in this war. But we know this war is actually taking place. And this devil is on the earth in this war. He's an agent of war who is on the earth. And and of all the things you could say about him, look at what gets highlighted again for him. He is the deceiver of the whole world. That crafty serpent, later on when you say he's the devil, he's Satan, he's the deceiver of the whole world. That's quite a resume. I don't know anybody who can... Pull off deceiving everyone. Well, he is the deceiver of the whole world. He's been thrown down. And then we get this warning. This is a sober warning, right? This is the voice of heaven who understands heaven and earth describing in verse 12. Therefore, rejoice, O heavens, right? Because we just got rid of a bad tenant and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea. For the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. 
that gets my attention, right? When, when somebody who's only played Little League goes, whoa, check this guy out. Okay. When you're the voice from heaven who defines what is great and what's intense and what is powerful and you use the word whoa, you got my attention now. Woe to you, O earth, because the devil has come down to you. Right? Now remember, Peter is telling us to pay attention in this category. Pay attention to this being. He is loose on the earth and he has come down in a fit of rage. But his time is limited. Right? So we get another little hint there about the mighty God that we serve. Why is this time limited? Why can't he just decide, hey, I'll let you know when my time is up. Mm, he doesn't get to do that. He doesn't get to do that in any realm, right? We, we, we saw this when God interacted with Job's life, that what the devil did in Job's life, it had boundaries to it. He didn't get to do whatever he wanted to do in Job's life. There is a sovereign providential God who sets boundaries for things. And so this warfare won't go on forever. Not because one day the devil's going to surrender or run out of gas, but because God controls the time frames of our lives. So at some point, his time is up. But how do you interact with this being, right? I just give you, there's a lot in the scriptures on this. So I just want to pick up some insights from Jesus here. Matthew chapter 16, when Jesus interacted with this existence of this war and this devil, he said, verse 18 in chapter 16, he says, I tell you, speaking to Peter, he says, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So you and I are introduced to the outcome of this war. We know there's a war. We know there is the, the gates of hell are the, are, the, are the place of the power represented by that city. So this kingdom of hell is represented in its interference with this world. But we know right here from this verse that kingdom will not prevail. The kingdom of God is going to prevail. We know that. That's an absolute truth. Verse 19, he says, I will give you, Jesus said to Peter, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Whatever? Whatever. But there's a devil on the loose. And his will is to oppose the will of God. Can you still say whatever? The sovereign God of the universe can always say whatever. Because he has control over everything. Right? And then we hear another interesting angle on this from Jesus in Luke chapter 22. And these are all things that, right, this is all spoken to Peter. Right? This is Peter getting these insights on this warfare that he's going to pick up again in 1 Peter chapter 5. Luke 22, verse 31, Simon, Simon, Jesus said, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. All right, now just take a quick lesson here. We're talking about these 21 days of prayer and fasting. You know, we, we as a church believe greatly in the importance, the centrality, and the power of prayer in our lives. And we are also a church that highlights and believes in a big way in the sovereign purpose of God. Now, do those two things go together? Yes. Well, Keith, can you fully explain that to me? No. 
but they do go together. All right, so we just read about an outcome that's guaranteed. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Guaranteed. That's the promise. That's the reality that God knows that is the reality of the situation. So, so why are the angels in war then? Why do the angels fight in this warfare if we know the outcome? Well, apparently the angels don't bother to ask that question. They just do what they're told to do. They fight because they're called to fight. If anybody, whoever walked the face of the earth, knows with certainty what the outcome is going to be, it's Jesus Christ. So when this agent of war shows up and says, hey, I'm coming after Peter. I want to sift him like wheat. Why doesn't Jesus say, hey, devil, haven't you read the story? You lose in the end, man. Whatever. Then he begins to intercede for Peter. He begins to call out in prayer for Peter. Wait, wait, but Jesus, don't you know what the outcome is? Don't you know? No matter what trick this devil pulls, no matter what the, the powers of hell try to pull off on this earth, it doesn't matter. In the end, the gates of hell don't prevail. That doesn't stop Jesus from praying, though, does it? He engages all the more when he knows the devil is now intentionally, I know, he showed his hand. He is coming against my man Peter here. I'm going to pray for him. Right, so Peter picks up these revelations and these insights and inspired by the Holy Spirit, he stands before us and he says, hey, be watchful, be sober-minded. I know something about a devil who roams about sifting people like wheat and seeking whom he may devour. I know something about that. And you watch for that. He does not dismiss us from paying attention because God is sovereign. And God is glorious and God is powerful. Although he just got finished saying that, didn't he? Right? A verse and a half earlier from this moment, he is saying, humble yourselves under the almighty hand of God. When he points to God, he's not just saying, hey, God's a good arm wrestler. He can beat most people. He's almighty. And yet here we're being told, pay attention. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Because this devil is roaming about and it matters that you pay attention. Let me pick up those words there. Sober-minded and watchful. Be sober-minded. Right? So you and I cross 2021 and we are being told, be heads up as you cross this coming year. Right? This, this word, when it's used figuratively, what it, what it's meant is the opposite of every kind of fuzziness. Right? That's the definition for this word, nepho. Every form of fuzziness, including intoxication, usurps the place of God. And awakening from that is a conversion. Right? So there is this blurry, non-clear spiritual condition. It is an impairment. right? And it uses the word that we translate sober because when, when one becomes drunk or intoxicated... Your brain is impaired. Your thinking, your ability to adjust to situations, to discern situations, it's impaired. But this is not a Bible verse about alcohol drinking. Right? I mean, that's how we use it sometimes. It's, it's a Bible verse about clear spiritual thinking. It's about being aware that there are things in this world that will impair clarity in the spirit. Things in the spirit will become fuzzy 
to you. And it's not just alcohol that will do that to you. There's lots of things that begin to occupy our minds and begin to make God become blurry to us. Right? We've just lived through quite a year full of those things. The noise of this past year, was it made a lot of blurry moments for a lot of us. I mean, I've watched politics be an impairing influence for Christians. What's taking place in the political arena? What's the latest news item? What was said? What was not said? How should we respond? What does that mean? Trying to interpret. I mean, almost like there's a Bible passage for Democrats and Republicans somewhere that we're trying to interpret the prophetic element there. I've had to remind some people, literally, can I just remind you that there are over 4 billion people on this planet? And they're all not Americans. And that the purpose of God is so much bigger than this little thing called America that just showed up on the block a few hundred years ago and invented something called democracy. And all of a sudden, like the whole Bible is about America and democracy. It's not. It's not kingdoms come and kingdoms go. We're, we're Johnny come lately. And God has been doing his thing on this planet. And he is still doing his thing on this planet. So when you get all freaked out about, oh, what does this mean for the kingdom? About whether this guy is going to be president or that guy is going to be president. Can I just tell you that's so small-minded. It's so ignoring the rest of the world. As though in heaven, the only people that God's really worried about are Americans who speak English. How many of us are there? 300, 400 million of us? We're dropping a bucket. God's doing big global things that go back a thousand years and will extend for as many years when perhaps this country no longer even exists. God's glory and God's purpose continue. And so we can think carefully and clearly and not get fuzzy minded about God over noisy things that are in our world. But, but that shows up in a variety of ways. This is not about whether you're going to tap into that bottle of bourbon somewhere hidden in your house. Uh, you tap into some pornography and you will become fuzzy in your spiritual thinking. Your sense of God will begin to get blurred by the noise of that activity in your own soul. Substances, yeah, food can become a blurry element in your life that impairs our interaction with God. Social media can do that as our minds are just engaged, overwhelmed, paying attention to distancing from God, filling us with so much activity and noise and activity and noise in our lives. I think this is a day of great impairment. This word is a rich word. This is a, this is a moment to be sober minded. You know, one of, the, one of the reasons why I believe the Lord was calling us to this period, what we've described as 21 days of prayer and fasting. And you know, we've made that a personal thing. We've not made it everybody do it exactly the same way. But it is designed for this reason. That fasting dimension, as, as Evan was describing earlier, that fasting dimension, it, it is an intentional turning down the noise of our lives. And I don't know how you are, but my life is extremely noisy, extremely noisy. And, and I, I want to stretch you in this because I, I want to I make you aware of something you might be missing out. And it may have been something in your Christian life you've been missing out on for years and years and years. 
There are things that God will do and interact with our soul when we get around him and we get available to him and, and we become alert to him. All right, now, so if I just were to say this morning, hey, can we just take the rest of this time together and let's just pray. Let's just, let's just get with God and pray. Um, if I just let us all get quiet, do you know how much noise you'd hear on the inside of you for quite a while? If you got quiet right now, you'd wonder, okay, what were we doing for lunch today? Uh, do we have anything at home to eat? Are we going to need to stop at Popeye's on the way home? I mean, you, your mind would go everywhere because it almost never gets quiet. Right? There used to be a day, this used to be human life. There used to be a day when people had nothing to do when they rode into work on the subway. Maybe they read the paper. You remember when you used to have to sit in a waiting room for a doctor? You know, now you just probably do stuff online, but you sat there. What'd you do during that time? Yeah, look at a magazine, just kind of gather some thoughts maybe, you know, just have a moment. What do you do now? Pull out a device and just download some more noise. We just, we keep noise at a level all the time. So when we get quiet, do, do you know we don't have any idea what to do with a quiet soul? We don't know what to do. We want to fill it up with noise. All right, so I'm not, I'm not picking on anybody here. I'm just saying you, the 21 days has revealed some things for some folks, right? And, 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 and it's been decent things, but it's also telling things, right? So you get past a day of that, two days of that, and you start, want to start saying, uh, what do I pray about? Anybody had that experience here? You know, like 21 days, like, okay, I'm like 21 minutes in and I'm like running out of stuff. Um, what do we pray about? And, and part of me doesn't want to rescue you from that. Well, sit there in silence until you sense something in your soul. Because this, this is a God who reveals himself to us. And part of our lack of experiencing God is because we fill our lives up with noise. And fasting is a means of reducing noise. Right? So when we fast from food... We fast from devices, we fast from game playing, we fast from watching TV. We're just turning the noise down so that my soul can kind of feast on God. And I can say, okay, God, I'm, I'm sober-minded. I'm alert to your presence in this moment. Actually, right now, it's going to take me a while to get there. I still hear the noise. I'm still tempted to pay attention to this. And the discipline of turning that noise down is so important. I will say personally, I, I could describe this for many folks though. Sometimes in that quiet, God says something to you, awakens something in you, gives you a revelation of something that leaves a powerful impact on your soul. And from that moment forward, you take that with you into tomorrow and next week. The people you encounter, the things you encounter in your life, you're going to encounter them differently because God did something to you in that moment. That if you didn't have that exchange, you'd still be in those spaces. But that sense of God and what he awakened in that moment, that won't be in your heart and your mind in that moment. So I actually want to do this for us this morning. You know, the 21 day wasn't intended for you to not eat for 21 days. It was intended to install a prolonged period of, of greater sensitivity to the Lord, to keep our hearts in a posture of, God, I know there's more and I want you to speak to me. 
and to do that for 21 days, to let that season be interrupted over and over again. And it's, you know, I've, I've got some regular things I'm doing during this time, but one of the things I've done is just said, Lord, I just want to be more sensitive and available to you. So if, you know, I had the Lord last week, just shut down my day. I just got to the midday and I'm ready to move to my back of the day agenda. And the Lord just said, no, don't do that. I just want you to sit here with me and I want you to just wait on me. So I had to change my whole afternoon and just be available. But God meets us in these moments and he awakens things and he does things that we need. You need that. There are things that God is doing. I've used this as as content throughout our prayer time. You know, Jesus, of all people, he was going to take 40 days in the wilderness before he launched his ministry. Can you think of anybody who really didn't need to do that? But, But he did it. There's something happening in that 40-day exchange that's going to go into the next coming chapter that Jesus knew. I need this time with the Father. I need to dial back the noise and just be available and walk closely and intimately with my Father. I would have thought he'd be the one guy who definitely doesn't need that. I mean, I I need that. But does he need that? But he does it. Because we need that. So can I pray for us right now? Right, our 21 days is up, not this Wednesday, but the next Wednesday. So you got, you got some significant time between now and then to say, Lord, I want you to show up and I want to be available. Right? So let me just pray for us right now. Lord, if there was no heavenly agenda for our future, Lord, what would that feel like? We were just biding our days No sense of purpose, no personal sense of calling and direction and meaningful activity for our lives. Lord, that'd be a horrible life to live. And God, thank you. That's not our lives. Our lives are filled with fulfilling the purpose of God. We pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. And so, Lord, we're going to be part of fulfilling that next week, next year, in years to come. And God, we want to hear things from you. We want your spirit to impart things to us that include direction and specifics, faith for things that we just would never have done. But you met us and you reveal something to us and you awaken things in us. God, I pray that we would not just hear that as a concept, but you would let us have stories of that reality. Lord, even this week, Lord, as folks right here who are either watching by live stream or gathered with us today, set aside times to meet with you and to listen, dial back the noise and receive from you for the days ahead in their lives. God, help us do that for all the purposes you have in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, then give me the next word here, watchful. You are to be sober-minded. You are to be watchful. And that word watchful, it means, it means to arise, to watch, to refrain from sleep. It denotes attention being given to God's revelation or to the knowledge of salvation. And listen, it means a mindfulness of threatening dangers. 
A mindfulness of threatening dangers. Be watchful, Christian. Be mindful of threatening dangers. Don't walk through this world clueless about the threatening dangers that are in it. Be mindful. Pay attention to that. Now, in this verse, we've been told to pay attention to this mighty God who is sovereign over time and the outcomes of our lives. So we're not just staring at the devil all day long. We are mindful of God. We are worshiping God. We are humble before him. But that's not all we're mindful of. We are also mindful in this verse of a real devil and real dangers that are around us. Now, you and I live in the Western world. And unfortunately, the more the Western world has become technological and scientific, everything can be explained through some kind of a study, from some data points. The science is now a personality who speaks to us. We're going to follow the science. We hear this, right? Everything about life has an explanation that doesn't seem to involve anything spiritual, particularly some devil. But the devil's real. And he's in this world. If you travel outside of America, that's not so shocking, right? America is very natural minded, but you go to other parts of the world, people think differently about spiritual things in different parts of the world, right? So let me let you listen to John Robb, who is a director of missions for an organization who has been in different parts of the world. And he would see the world a little differently than a typical American. He says, Northern India is one of the world's darkest regions. Indians estimate there may be more than 300 million gods in that region. Kali, the goddess of destruction, is a regional deity worshipped in Calcutta. Anyone who has been to Calcutta knows the devastating impact she and her worship have had on the people of that city. Elsewhere in the world, the occult is behind some of the most brutal injustices of the century. In Cambodia, the Khmer Rouge, who killed as many as 2 million people in the 1970s. Well, they were based in two occult strongholds. Shiva, the Hindu god of destruction and regeneration, and Naga, the serpent god, are worshipped in these northern locations. During Liberia's civil war, SIM missionaries reported that many of the combatants practiced juju, a kind of African magic or witchcraft to gain power. They wore fetishes, called spirits to come into them, got drunk and murdered whole villages of innocent people. When Satan is not influencing people through open idolatry or fear of spirits, we still find that people are controlled by false ways of thinking which lock them in spiritual darkness. That last description is more of an American experience. You know, you travel to other parts of the world. Uh, I mean, I can remember being in some rather remote places in Mexico when we were planting churches in just remote, remote places. And, and there was a witch doctor everywhere. We didn't go into a village that I didn't talk to somebody that they couldn't tell me who the witch doctor was. And just the practices, and you'd see these little activities, of, and, they, and they believed in spells, man. And they believed that there were things that were happening in people's lives because there was a spell on them. They had no problem acknowledging there's a spiritual dimension to this world. And that spiritual dimension reaches in and touches the physical dimension of this world sometimes. Were they always right? Probably not. You know, my doctor's not always right when he diagnoses something. He's only looking for physical stuff. 
But there is a spiritual dimension that does reach in and touch this world. But you know what touches our world spiritually every day is the ideas that are all around us. Ways of thinking, right? I love that what Rob said in his quote there. He said, people are controlled by false ways of thinking, which lock them in spiritual darkness. Now, can you remember before the world went dark in Genesis chapter three, what was the devil doing? Talking. The serpent said to the woman, he likes to talk. He likes to post. He likes to present ideas for you to consider. He's a bit of a salesman. That's what he does. That's his specialty. Before the world was plunged into darkness, and this darkness had unfolded, and Adam and Eve became aware that they were naked. They became aware of shame and sin and awkwardness, feelings they had never had before. They'd never experienced any of that before. But now, suddenly, they've been plunged into darkness, and it's disorienting, and it's frightening. And their own children are going to rise up against each other and kill one another. Before any of that darkness happened, there were ideas being discussed. Listen, before our world plunges into darkness, it's been talking about some things. It's encountering false ways of thinking long before the worst of the darkness shows up, right? John Robb goes on in his article and says, because of the nature of evil in the world, prayer is essential. As we seek to help the poor and to stand against injustice, Christians sometimes forget that we are also fighting against principalities and powers. Since the Garden of Eden, Human beings have gained control over other individuals and whole societies by cooperating with Satan and his evil spirits. This has led to wide-scale famine, disease, poverty, slavery, injustice, and suffering. Whenever we try to help the victims of these tragedies, we enter a fray that involves the great sociological forces that rule the world's massive institutions, social structures, and systems. You know, it's interesting here. I mean, these are the issues that we've spent last year and even today discussing systems, structures, racial inequity. Systemic racism structures, right? These are structures, governments, gatherings of people, ideas that form this group to come together around certain things. That's what's being described here. Oh, and by the way, uh, John Robb's not writing this article recently. This is 1997 when he writes this article. But he's kind of pointing out something that nobody's talking about, right? Because anybody new to the word justice and injustice this year, last year? Is that... You, you heard that word a little bit, right? Yeah, just a little bit. It's all over the place. Systems, oppression, mistreatment, poverty, disease. We've heard these words, but you know what I haven't heard anybody say anything about? The devil. Nobody's mentioned the devil. You and I are living in a world that when it stares out at the world and it says, hey, let me explain to you why this has happened. See, there's this bad, selfish set of people. 
in some situations, they're just a different color than you. In other situations, they're different economics than you. But they're just a different set of people, got a different set of ideas who are inflicting some ideas on these people. So these people are against those people. Hey, we need to, we need to do something about that. So how about we paint something in the end zone that says, end racism. That'll do it. That'll fix it. Am I against ending racism? I'm all for ending racism. I'm just telling you, you have no idea what you're messing with. You just think it's just those people against those people. That's it. That's your explanation. Can I tell you, there's a spiritual being behind these ideas who creates false ideas. And, and you know, the biggest thing he's got going for him is once he can sell any one of us on the false idea of being selfish, he's got us. You exercise your will for your own gain at somebody else's expense. And you got to do what you got to do, man. Because it's about you, right? It's about you having the right life. Right? In your own home, that, that's what leads to divorce. It's just somebody who says, you know what? I just don't feel like doing this anymore. I'm done. I'm going to look out for my own interest. In society, it's about rich and poor. It's about advancing my cause at the expense of somebody else. I don't mind. I don't mind making you suffer for the sake of my... Where do you get these ideas from? Well, it is ideas. It is false beliefs that are in this world all around us. Rob goes on and says, Both Satan and his powers are dedicated to destroying the human beings who are made in the image of God. Satan is the master deceiver the author of idolatry who seeks to dominate the world by undermining faith in God, twisting values and promoting false ideologies. He infiltrates institutions, governments, communications media, educational systems, and religious bodies, using them to seduce humankind over the worship of money, fame, success, power, pleasure, Science, art, politics, and religious idols. Socio-spiritual forces of evil clench societies in a dark, destructive grip in two related ways. First, by openly idolatrous and cultic covenants. You see that all around the world except kind of here. And the second, through the false patterns of thinking which blind people to the reality of God and the hope he brings. That's what the ideas in this world are designed by the enemy to to blind us to the reality of God and our need for him to bring hope into our lives. Listen, this is a verse inviting us to be mindful and to resist things, right? So I don't mind pointing some of these things out for us to resist this. There are ideas out there that fall under that description, false ideas ways of thinking they are the false ways of thinking do not think this way and those ideas creep into us and they get modeled for us and they get posted and they get examples of it and they start feeling like that's the right way to respond can can i just give you a heads up on a couple of these pay attention for the the false way of thinking that's in victimization a victimization mindset That training that you get by the world to blame your life and your life's conditions and your lack of happiness and the fact that you're not cool with the way things are 
on everybody else but yourself. And it leads you into this place that Rob said, this false ways of thinking which lock you in spiritual darkness. I can't think of a worse lock. Well, I probably could, but this is a bad lock. That you're locked in to waiting for the day when everybody else in your life begins to treat you right. Then, then maybe you can be happy. Really? What if that day never comes? What if you continue to live in a fallen world where people do what they're going to do for their own reasons and sometimes you're at the expense of that? Does that mean you can never be happy in this life? You never have something from God that's going to matter in your own soul? This is a false way of thinking. It traps people. You know what, what God does? And you know, this is nothing new, right? I mean, day one, the, the serpent shows up in the garden and takes their world apart. And f- the first conversation, Adam is a victim. Do you notice that? Adam, what just happened here? What was that woman you gave me? <laughs> you know, if it hadn't been for her, Okay, man, why don't you man up and take responsibility for what you did? Yeah, she played a role, and the devil did too. But do you notice at the end of the day, Adam's got to have a conversation about himself with God. Adam's got to get right with God. There's nothing for him and Eve getting right with God. He's got to get right with God. What happens if Adam says, oh, I didn't do anything. that woman you gave me and that stinking serpent over there. And... God deals with the woman and the woman gets right with God. Is Adam cool now? He's, oh, I'm, I'm all good now. The woman, she responded right to you and she's probably going to treat me right now. I'm good. He's not good, is he? He needs to get right with God himself. He needs to take responsibility for him. Yeah, but he didn't do exactly what the serpent did or exactly what Eve did. No, he didn't. That's exactly true. He did what he did. Listen, all of us have got people in our lives that in some way they have, they have failed us, they have neglected us, they have hurt us. And I'm not in any way trying to trivialize that. Listen, I've got my own stories and you do too. And, and, and I am, I'm heartbroken for the things that many of us have had to travel through in our lives. It's, it's just a fellow person and as a person who loves people. But it's a dark place for you to trap yourselves in when you decide to camp out and and sort of create this pity party moment where I just begin to interpret life through feeling sorry for myself and I feel sorry for myself and I feel sorry for myself. You're going to get trapped there. Do not stay there. That's a bad idea. That's a false way of dealing with life. Go before God. Take responsibility wherever you can and just release those people to God. God will deal with them. But you take you before God. You need a savior. You need God to actively be involved in your life. God can raise you up and empower you to live a life no matter what background you've come from. Right? Resurrection is what's on the other side of dead people. Right? You're dead. How bad is that? Well, it's not as bad as it gets. Right? And you get to have life. You get to have a redo. You get to actually live on the other side of what killed you. In the power of God. In that incredible news. That's what God has for us. Don't get trapped in some. Oh I can never do right. Because other people didn't do right by me. Oh that's a false idea. And it's everywhere. Right cancel culture. Everybody's watching. We live in a cancel culture. The basic recipe for cancel culture is. 
I identify whether you are for me in certain ways, whether you agree with me in certain ways, whether you're furthering the things that I'm interested in, or or whether you're difficult, disagreeable, and, and hard for me to relate to. I put you in one of those categories. And if you're not on board with my project about me, then I'm going to cancel you. I'm going to get away from you. And I'm going to love these ideas that are out there about getting rid of all the toxic people in my life. That just makes me feel better that, yeah, see, everybody feels this way. Everybody's trying to get rid of the baggage, get rid of those people, those people. That's a false idea. Cancel the idea. I'm all over that. Let's cancel the idea of cancel culture. That, how do you join your life to that idea and at the same time listen to Jesus say, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel? All the world? All the world. The toxic part of the world? Yes. They persecuted me. They're going to persecute you. Can I just warn disciples? In advance, you're not going to be treated well in this world. Well, avoid all the people who don't treat you well then. What? That's a false idea. No, have courage to love them and be in their lives the way they need you to be in their lives, but in a way that they're not making it easy for you to be in their lives. And listen, this shows up right at our doorstep in our relationships that we have with people that we know and the people that we don't know. That's a false idea and they're all over the place and they start feeling like they make sense to us. But they're false and they're gonna lock you in a place that you wish you could get away from. D.A. Carson says, Satan himself is sometimes portrayed as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. At other times he's portrayed as an angel of light deceiving the very elect if possible. So sometimes he may be unleashing his arsenal so as to cause the deaths of a multitude of believers. He, as recently as what happened in Sudan. At other times, he may be sending out false teaching that very subtly undermines the truth. He'll not come right out and say, look, here's a load of false teaching. He's not stupid. He's going to say, oh, I think it's wonderful that you believe the gospel. The gospel is such a good thing. Isn't God nice? But you know... We've discovered something that helps you apply the gospel to your life just a little better. In addition to believing the gospel, you need these extra techniques in your counseling. This will be hugely helpful for those of you who have come from an abusive background. He will suggest things like that. He will constantly tempt us to multiply things and multiply things and multiply things until the gospel is made essentially irrelevant because it becomes that which is merely assumed. It is not what you are excited about anymore. It's not at the forefront of your thinking. I think one of the greatest tactics that the enemy has managed to create effectively in this day is that he has so minimized God and shoved him to the edge of what we really need. And as Christians, it can feel like, well, yeah, I have the gospel. I have the good news. I have a relationship with God. But what I'm most jazzed about and most freaked out about and most anxious about is about the other stuff that everybody else is freaked out about. But I have God. Well, yeah. Just not doing it for you though, right? Because I need God and this and this and this. And none of us as Christians want to admit that. 
None of us want to say, you know, hey, quite honestly, yeah, I got God. I'm just, just still looking. Just still looking. Really? It's not wrong for us to have other things. What is wrong is when God is not satisfying enough to us. That's what God's after. I read an interesting post this week from John Piper. I love this title. He said, Escaping the Fog of Triviality. He said, my impression is that at the root of this culture of inarticulate, casual trifling is a loss of a sense of the weight of the greatness and awfulness of God. Isn't that an interesting word, awful? Everything is light and funny because God is lightweight. The heavy ballast of the great, sovereign, holy God of all pervading providence has been offloaded at the docks. The docks of man-centered theology and endless screen time. This is a tragedy. Not only because it's the fruit of a trivializing God, but because it hinders us from seeing him and experiencing him as he really is in the majesty of his all-embracing providence. He goes on and describes how this begins to take away our awe of God. And of course, when God lacks awe, everything else has to fill in for that lack. We've got to find something else to entertain us, to scratch our itch, to provide our course in life. Piper says, I have felt over the years that the greatest threat to my soul is not committing adultery against my wife or embezzling money from some minister or even suddenly throwing away my faith and becoming an advocate for atheism or being overtaken by some terrible fit of rage and killing somebody. None of those things has seemed to me to be nearly as threatening to my soul as the creeping effect of pettiness. The loss of all capacity to feel greatness and beauty and magnificence and depth and wonder and awe and reverence and weightiness. This capacity of heart is not given primarily through education. It's given through the miracle of the Holy Spirit opening the eyes of the heart to be stunned by what is stunning, to be shocked by what is shocking, to stand in awe of what is awesome and to be amazed at what is amazing and to feel the crushing weight of what is crushing and to see the glory of what is glorious. And listen, what happens to our soul when we stare at God and we don't see glory? Our souls are designed for glory. That's what they're designed for. It means I'm going to go looking elsewhere for something to be glorious to me. Just an interesting exercise for you. Next week, as you, as you drive by billboards, as you watch ads on the side of the Google page, as you interact with posts and pictures, search for what's being made glorious in those pictures. What is glorious in that picture? What are people celebrating? What are they excited about? What matters to them? Where's their joy? What's captured them? What are they promoting in this moment? See, you and I drink that in. It just gets in our veins. And next thing you know, we stare at God and we kind of go, hmm. We stare at that and we go, huh, did you see this? Huh, did you see that? And we're 
awed by things that really aren't that awesome. And we stare at God and we're blind to the things that are. Can I just tell you, put your head on a swivel. The devil did that. The devil did that. He may have used advertisers. He may have been movie moguls. He may have used all kinds of things. But the one thing the devil's after is for you to put your faith somewhere else than in God. That's why we're being told here, resist him firm in your faith. Now let me do this. I'm going to pray for us. Before I do that, I want to I stir up your sense of receiving something from God this morning. You know, you're here because, because God is providential over everything about your life. I met Andre this morning. Andre, welcome. He's from Titusville, Florida. Just happened to be visiting today. I'm just going to use Andre as an example. I'm sure he loved to come to a church where he didn't know anybody and the pastor uses him as an example. None of us are sitting in this room by accident. Watching live stream by accident. Right, God doesn't do accidents. He does providence. He engages our lives. So I'm going to give you an example, right? So we're, we're talking about this. This is going to land, and next week we'll pick up that last element of resist him firm in your faith. This is a battle for faith. That's what the war is over. So I'm praying this morning, and, you know, sometimes I write things down. Probably, guys probably wish I wouldn't write things down because I already have enough to say. I don't need to write anything else down, but I'll write stuff down on the back of a page just to remind me about something I felt. You know, can we get to the end of the service here? Lord, is there something particular you want to do in this moment? There's something you want to tell me about somebody or a need here, and I just try to listen. So I wrote some things down, and at some point I wrote the words for those who are in anxieties and facing an adversary, need a savior. And underneath it I wrote our faith underlined in him. And when I wrote the word faith, the name Chris Spencer popped into my head. And I had an email in my email from Chris Spencer that he had sent last night about an impression, a word that he had to share. I want to know if I thought it should be shared. Well, I hadn't seen it and I hadn't read it. But when I got to the word faith, I went and opened Chris's email and the title of the word that he's about to come share is the key of faith. Listen, there's a, a thousand plus people in this church. Why did Chris Spencer's name come to mind at that moment when faith, I know <laughs> Chris, we're all thinking about you all the time. I just want you to know that. But what I do want to take from this is God knew who would be here. God knew who would be watching by live stream. Um, God wanted to make sure I, I didn't miss this word getting to us. So I want you to listen carefully as to how this speaks to your faith this morning. So I believe the Lord gave me an impression to share. And this is the impression. It's a picture of a man who is holding a key of faith in his hand. And he desperately needs this, but he's forgotten that it's there. In the throes of the struggle of his soul, he squeezes his hands together in prayer to cry out to the Lord for help. As he does this, 
He feels the key in his hand, amazed that the Lord has placed it there. God's word says in James 1.21, Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. I believe the Lord is saying that there are several people here this morning in severe struggles. These struggles are the result of giving into temptation. And that you know a number of the great and precious promises of God and his word you feel that you've disqualified yourself somehow from the very grace of God. I believe the Lord wants you now to look at the key of faith in your hand and believe that these promises are still for you. They apply to you. Put away the uncleanness in your life and the false promises that came with it. I believe the Lord is saying that you should use the key of faith that the Holy Spirit has provided and turn to the Lord. Receive humbly the implanted word that is divinely powerful to save your soul. And as you do this, I believe you're going to hear the Lord Jesus saying, Peace I leave with you. My peace. I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Thank you, Christopher. I trust the Lord will make that applicable in your hearts this morning. This warfare is a warfare for faith. That's what the devil's after. Jesus prayed for Peter. He said, Peter, I prayed for you that your faith would not fail. That's what the devil was after. So you're in a moment in life and we're in a bunch of different places probably here in the room. And and God, by his grace, gives us his gift of the key of faith. It's a gracious gift from God. We don't create it. But we exercise it. We make use of it. So I want to draw your attention to, to maybe just by faith asking you to be postured one of two ways that's in this passage this morning and maybe one of you identify with one more than the other both of these are biblical postures for us maybe for you right now the the posture of faith for you is that first posture i described at the beginning kneeling before god with your heart open your arms open receiving from him surrendered to him yielded to him acknowledging his rightful place in your life. Maybe that's where God's calling you to be right now in your life. That's the thing that's most prominent for you. Lord, I just need to freshly surrender to you. I want to be found resisting, questioning, or complaining. I want to, I want to surrender to you. The other posture that's in this passage that you might identify even more with perhaps is that of resisting the enemy. Being able to identify and discern that's the enemy coming at me right now. And I'm going to take my key of faith and I'm going to resist what the enemy is doing in my life. I'm going to be intentional about it. I'm going to be hostile about it. 
but by faith, I'm going to resist what the enemy is doing in my life. So let me just ask you to do this real quick, because I'm going to ask you to respond. So I think the pandemic has turned us into people who just stare at stuff. We don't do much with it. We just stare at it. So I'm going to actually ask you to do something this morning. I'm going to ask you to either physically kneel, if that's what you're sensing God is giving you faith, you just to yield your life afresh to him, or to stand and face what's coming at you, identify it and resist it firm in your faith. I'm going to pray for you. So those are going to kneel. Go ahead and kneel right where you are. Just turn and turn in your chair there. You can kneel if you're capable of doing that. If, you, if you're not able to kneel, then just sitting there is fine. If you're going to stand, stand right where you are. Stand up. All right, this stuff is done with an attitude, by the way. All right, so right now, don't be casual about this. All right, the person who humbly submits to God is, is humbly doing that. They're just not kneeling. They're, they're affected by the greatness of God and they know their place. And there's humility there before God. The person who is resisting, it's an aggressive resistance. It's a hostility. It's an identifying that thing that's coming after you. That way that you're being tempted. You face it this morning. This is Peter's words. After having sat with Jesus, he listened to Jesus interact and talk about the devil and the gates of hell. And he told all of us, and you be watchful, you be sober-minded, and you resist when he comes. So let's, let's pray together just for a moment. Father, I pray for all of us who are in a place this morning to to reboot, to reset our posture before you. Perhaps, Lord, we have neglected, turned aside. Perhaps we have resisted you. Lord, we have felt you wanted something for us that we were afraid of, uncertain about, and we have resisted. But, Lord, this morning... We take that key of faith, Lord, and we unlock the shackles that get around us. And by faith, Lord, we just entrust ourselves to you yet again. Lord, you know what you're doing. There's none more glorious than you. There's none who loves us more. No one could ever be more affectionate and concerned toward our lives than you are. You are jealous for us, Lord. That's what you said. We believe that. If there's anybody that we can entrust our lives to and yield to, it's you. So God, rather than resisting, rather than fleeing, rather than keeping you at a distance, Lord, this morning we just yield again to you. Trust these days to you. Entrust our lives to you. Lord, I'm I'm entrusting. Why don't you just right now entrust the thing to you that you're most concerned about right now. Just see yourself just giving it to God. Cast your care on him. Give it to him. Let him have it. Take it. Let him take it out of your hands. Feel the load departing from the weight of your life and being managed by him. I pray for all of us who are standing this morning. Lord, in multiple places, Apostle Paul filled us in that there was this warfare. We wrestle not against flesh and blood and spiritual forces of wickedness and powers and principalities and heavenly places, the God of this world. And having done all to stand, stand therefore. Lord, we're standing this morning. 
God, we're standing because we know the gates of hell will not prevail against our lives. God, we're standing because we're not going to run in fear any longer. God, we're standing because we believe that what is bound on earth will be bound in heaven. God, you can do whatever it is that you will. God, we will not be driven by fear any longer. We will not turn our back to the enemy and run and become captive to running and running and running. Now, Lord, we see what it is that's coming. God, we see the ideas. We see what's being offered to us. We see what we're being cornered by. God, we see the idea, some here this morning, this idea of self-pity has ruined any movement in their life. Lord, I pray that you just cast down that vain practice. God, and you bring liberation to those, Lord, who have been paralyzed by real wrongs done in their lives. But Lord, this morning, God, would you let them stand firm? Would you let them face that and resist it firm in faith? Or maybe there's entanglements that are in this room. Or maybe there are ways that are impairing our clarity before you. Maybe ideas that have been sold that laziness is better than activity. And we've bought it, Lord, right now. We just stand in the face of these ideas and we resist, Lord. We stand firm in the faith where we're using the faith you've given us, that key of faith. We're using it right now to say, I'm not welcoming that anymore. I'm postured against it. I'm hostile to it. I'm not giving into that anymore. God, by your grace, my head is alert and I'm watchful. I'm sober-minded and I'm standing as you said I could stand, Lord. God, would you sweep through our lives in these days, Lord? Would you do something that brings new days where there has been dark days, where we have been held captive, Lord? Would you bring new days, Lord? Would you take 21 days that we've dedicated to just waiting on you to invite your, your invasion of our lives, Lord? And would you begin to do new, wonderful, amazing things in and around us? Would you make the coming weeks and months and years of our church, of our families, of our walk with you, to go to places we never could have imagined we could go. God, oh, just reboot us, Lord, and send us into these coming days. You have glorious things to do. May they be glorious to us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. God bless you guys at home. We miss you. We hope to see you sometime soon. You can keep watching us live stream, though. And until we see you again, we're praying for you. If you have a need, let us know that. Call the church, email us, text us, whatever. Love you guys. We'll see you next week.